ask you to turn either in the Bible in front of you or to your Bible that you have or to your tablet or to your phone or to something that has words on it. I know it will probably be behind us, but it is, and I'm going to keep on saying, it's very important that you engage in God's Word as it is being proclaimed, read, and taught. Especially, stories are one thing. There's narratives and there's uh, Bible stories that we have that can be listened to and can be captivated. But when it comes to the epistles, there, there are words that make a difference, that need to be seen. Uh, there are phrases and the way that God has given uh, this great gift to us through Paul. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles to chapter 6 of Romans. I did uh, put in that we were looking at, and we will be reading verses 1 through 14. But as I had mentioned to Sally this week, uh, that ain't going to happen. We're uh, going to read it. In fact, we're going to read from verse 12, chapter 5, because it's been a while. It's been a while since you've heard me talk about this, and we've read this together. But it's very important to find out what goes before so that we can focus on what we're going to focus on today, which are really verses 1 through 4. So let's turn there and listen to God's Word as I pray and then read. Heavenly Father, we ask that we are mindful of the fact that these are Your words to us. That Your Word never goes out void, but always accomplishes everything that You desire it to do. That through it, Lord, Your your Spirit works. We hear Your voice. Your sheep hear the shepherd's voice. I pray, Father, for those who don't believe that, that today will be the day that this happens. That You will bless them with Your Spirit to be able to see what You have for the people that You love. Lord, I pray as we read these words that You will give the people of God assurance, but also sound doctrine, sound sound uh, teaching so that our lives would lead to orthodoxy, orthopraxy or sound living. So that we would be encouraged to know that you are very well aware of our weaknesses and that you give us text and verses and books like this so that we would have the assurance that nothing can separate us from your love, dear Lord, through your Son, Jesus. And that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, I pray that these words fall upon fertile soil today, hearts that are desiring your word, that the power of the Spirit would illumine their hearts, all of our hearts, that this message of your grace and mercy of your assurance. And the very reason why we can have assurance is not based upon our feelings 
or our work at all, but upon your grace and your work and the obedience of Christ. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12 of chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to, in, came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as re sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, we who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried Therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, almost, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present 
your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. This is powerful stuff, but it, it also is difficult sometimes. It's difficult to read, it's difficult to put together, it's difficult what's being said. Because there's lots of voices saying lots of things out there about doctrines and about teachings in the Bible. And so I thought it was very important for us to make sure that we get something really straight because I need to hear it. It's a timely word. I want you to believe it because I want you to have the assurance, if you have faith, the assurance of that faith, the assurance in God preserving you, God encouraging you, God protecting you, and keeping you for all eternity. As you live your life, as I live my life, because I know that it is difficult to read these words and wonder sometimes if I'm a believer. Because of how we struggle with sin in our life. How difficult it is to live a life that Jesus walked. As John says in 1 John, if we say we follow him, we need to walk like him and with him in this world. And the words that that they use and phrases that he uses here are are very important and yet very uh, important to understand because we can have and there is there are some bad theological teachings out there about what is being said so the verses that we're looking at today are verses one through four And Paul, in his writing to the Roman church, made up of Jews and and Gentiles, is now addressing with questions. And remember in your memory banks that I said there are dozens of questions in the book of Romans. And Paul is aware of what those questions will be because of his mission tours and of his many interactions with people over the years that he can already uh, anticipate what some of these questions are going to be. And certainly he does this in verse 1 of chapter 6. Because it is a logical conclusion to what Paul has said in the previous verses of chapter 5. So what ha- he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And why is he saying that? Well, because of as we, we looked at these important verses, verse 1, 20 and 21 of verse, chapter 5, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Well, somebody's out there going to say, Wow, that's great. So it doesn't make a difference how I live my life. It doesn't make a difference there's any rules in my life. God's going to love me no matter what because I'm in Jesus. And he can be my friend. And he can be my teacher. 
But it necessarily does not need to know that how I, how I follow the law because I'm not under law. There are no laws in my life. There's no order to my life. I can do whatever I want to. And no matter how badly I sin and no matter how often I sin, grace abounds even more. That's why Paul writes this. It's called antinomianism, meaning that there's no law in your life. You don't have to worry about the law. We've been saved by grace to the law. And that's what Paul's concerned about. But he's not very concerned because he gives us the answer, really, the, the, this whole chapter and, and, and on to the end of chapter 8. These, this question is answered. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he's going to answer the question by giving us a doctrinal statement and doctrinal uh, words and, and phrases and thoughts that are meant to ground our faith, are meant for us to do something that he's going to tell us in verse 11. In verse 11, we come to a word that we have a, 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 a tense and a verb that we, you, you don't know by looking at it unless someone tells you. That says in verse 11, so you also must consider. And the word consider is an imperative. And so an imperative is a command. And Paul wants us, as he's done in this book and other books, and will do as he finishes up through chapter 11, he gives us all these things called indicatives, meaning these are the way things are. These are the truth of the gospel. These are the, the, the truth and the counsel from God. This is the way things are because of what Jesus has done. Then, in light of what Jesus has done, now go live your life this way. And so this is what he is doing, is filling in for us all the indicatives, all the things that are truth statements about what Jesus has done, so that we will listen. When we are given an imperative, we are given an imperative by God, so that when the Holy Spirit works in our life, our ears will be tickled, and our hearts will be moved. To a person who is dead, by me going and screaming at them, will not do anything. But to a person that God has given life to, and he speaks, a response can be made. And so notice what Paul says in verses 6 through 11. He says, in verse 3, do you not know? In verse 6, we know. In verse 9, we know. He's expecting the Roman church that they understand this. And if they don't, he's going to tell them because he will say, are you ignorant of this? Not that you're stupid, but are, are you, are you don't know this? Are, has no one told you this? And I have to venture to say that within the, within the church of Jesus Christ in this day and age, there are people who are ignorant to this stuff. There are people who do not hear this stuff because there are not pastors teaching this stuff. So he wants us, as he says here, so you must also think, regard. This is not just, oh, let me just give it a little thought. No, he's talking about digging in and really considering what is being said. You need to think about these things because what has he said? 
in verse 11, so you must also consider yourself dead to sin. If you went through and listened to what all the repeating phrases there, dead to sin is spoken of in, you know, in verses 2 and, and uh, in uh, verses 8, he, he, we, di- we died. There's, there's a lot of dying. There's a lot of bo- bo- uh, being buried. There's talking about resurrection. And he's talking about this stuff that we've got to understand what that means. He's explaining a fact, somebody said. He's explaining a fact and not describing your experience or my experience. He is telling it this is the fact. This is the truth. And what is he talking about? He is saying, are we to continue in sin? And I'm going to give you all the reasons, he says, why that King James Version would say, God forbid... As it, as, he, as it translates, by no means. That's just unthinkable, is what he is saying. How on earth can this even happen? It's, it's just, it just boggles your mind to think, once you understand what he is going to tell us, we will then have to rethink when we live our lives. And it's certainly been great for me who have who've, I've taught this and been studied and tested on this stuff, but when it comes to a day-to-day life and we get so caught up in other things, to be able to God give us this word right now so that we, it changes the way we live our lives is so important. How can we continue in sin? He says in verse 2, if we who died to sin still live in it. Now what on earth does it mean to die to sin? That's the question. And I guess I'm sure that I would get, as if I asked you what is the gospel, and you would give me several different answers, that there is possible, very, very frankly, quite possible, that everybody would, there would be lots of different answers to this because people are not, not aware of what it means to be dead to sin. Now one thing that, and, and this is a compilation of many Many people that you pull all these questions on all these thoughts together that there are some people who are in here that, are, that, that give these kinds of answers. What does that mean? Who are some of the great reformers and great translators and I mean, great scholars have come up with some things that are not necessarily uh, that we can agree with. I can agree with and others as well. Some very good names disagree with some of the names that they, they say, oh, how could I, I don't, I take this lightly, but I need to, I need to, uh, uh, I need to uh, disagree with such and such. And then even, even another name, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I don't agree with this person's commentary on this. So we come together and we pull these, these ideas together because we hope, I hope, that this will kind of bring in all of you and maybe some of the answers that you would give me if I handed a card to you and say, will you tell me what it means to be dead to sin? Now, some people may be thinking that when Paul is speaking, you're dead to sin. He is saying that it, may, it happens to some people, but not to everyone. 
that there are the super saints and there are the people who are really godly and people who really dig deep in and people that really are in the know and they know all this doctrine and everything, that that's who he's talking about. And, but it says, it's, it's talking to everyone, all. Because the word is we. We. He's talking about all of us. And notice how he classifies us here, by no means, in verse 2, how can we, we, us, how we, the people of God, the people who say that we love Jesus, how can we, who have died to sin, go back and live in it? And it's key, key because the word live in it means to continue in it. That doesn't mean that we, we never sin. It means that we, we don't live in it. And again, I'm going to bring back something to you that has, you know, I brought up many times in the past, in the sermons that I've given on 1 John. 1 John talks about chapter 3. Remember, John gives these three different tests of sound doctrine. Uh, do, we love, do we love the church? Do we, do we care about sanctification in our life? Do we care to live a holy life? Those are the three tests. Because in the book of John, John God gives us again, we know, and you know, and we know. He tells these people because he wants them to think about it and to be assured that who they are is dependent upon what God thinks of them and not what other people think of them. And he says, verse, in chapter 3 of, of, uh, of uh, 1 John, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that because it does not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet, been, yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So is the state of Jesus, and now having still a physical body and a glorified body, that's what we will have as well. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know what that experience is like. We are told that it's going to happen. We long for that to happen but when we see him, we will have that body and we will now know, wow, this is the gift that God has given to us. And he says, verse 3, Everyone who thus hopes in him sanctifies, purifies himself as God is pure, as Jesus is pure. Everyone who makes a practice or continues sinning also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now, many people look at that and saying, oh, this is, you know, as a Christian, we can't sin anymore. It's, we, we, we need to be perfect. And so as believers, and as I've mentioned, there are denominations out there that believe that they are perfect, that they no longer did sin. They are 100% sanctified. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of, that means, again, going back out and working at it and working at it and being in it and being around it and making sure that you, you work on the drills. It's like you know baseball drills, basketball drills, any sport drills or any kind of drills. If you're in, in uh, languages, you know, the, the real geeks in, in the Bible you know, they have their cards, right? They had their flashcards in Greek, and then they have their flashcards in Hebrew and Aramaic and whatever other things they do. And they just keep on disciplining themselves 
and musicians and, and doctors and everybody just has to go over the fact of this is their trade. This is who they are. This is important. We need to know this stuff. So that's what practicing is. And John, and John is telling us, as God is telling us through Paul as well, that we as Christians cannot go on practicing. We can't wake up and see how are we, gonna, how are we going to live our lives today to the fullest of our desires and have disregard for God completely. So whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And by this it is evident who the children of God are and who are the children of devil. Who does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Because he's talking about the test of love for the community. This is what John is bringing out and Paul is bringing out to us is that, is that this, is a, this is something that the, the Lord is expecting from all of us, that we know that we live our life because we are different. We don't go on living our life without any kind of dis- without disregard for how, what our practice is. So he said, this is not for some, this is for all. He's not speaking to a Christian that is no longer responsive to sin. In J.B. Phillips' translation, which is a good translation for some things and not so good in others, in this one it really isn't very good as other people say, and you can do it. He says, I'm immune. He goes, I'm immune to the power of sin. So that means that it depends upon him. That he does not have a problem with sin. That he can tell sin to come and go. That he is never, he is never stimulated. He is never, uh, he, his heart never beats faster or louder when certain things go on in his life he doesn't find any appetites with ungodly things that's just not true that's not what the bible teaches us there are no perfect christians it is for all people if 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 people were perfect then why would verse 11 be there So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Why would he tell people not to let sin reign in their body if they're perfect? So that's not possible. And then he says he's not speaking to those who are dying to sin. Because the tense here, the verb tense, in, and it's been used many places in the New Testament, by no means how can we who died. This is not a process of continuous work. It is a word that, I mean, uh, it's a tense that in, in, uh, they call it punctiliar, meaning that there's a point, there's a period at the end. When you put a period at the end of the sentence, that means the sentence ends. It doesn't continue. And that's what he's saying here. You and I have died to sin. Died. It's something that has been done. So we have to ask ourselves, do you remember when you died to sin? If this is a true statement, if it is Paul writes this in an aorist tense, if this means that this is a done deal, a historic event that has taken place, how can we keep on dying to sin if it says that we've died to sin? 
So the answer is, is that we don't keep on dying to sin. We've died to sin. It is not your choice or my choice. It says that we have died to sin. Why? Because, as we have read today, it's because Jesus has died to sin. If Jesus has done something for you and me, it's done. It's not something that you and I participate in. We don't have to worry about dying to sin. We have to work at what John Owen, a great Puritan writer, says that you need to be killing sin or sin's going to kill you. You and I kill sin. You and I try to snuff out sin. You and I try to stop the, the, the flow of what comes into our life. Put ourselves in situations. Be around certain people. Be influenced by certain sounds, certain voices, certain images that should not feed the appetite of our hearts. That's what killing sin is. We want to abhor sin like God abhors sins. That's what John Piper says. No genuine Christian who loves Christ can be cavalier about the very thing that he, Christ died to abolish, namely our sin. That would be one mistake we could make. We could be cavalier in our attitude. Well, he died to forgive them all, so they don't really matter because they're all covered by the blood. No Christian talks like that about their own sin. It is simply in agreement with God that this was an ugly and unworthy thing for me to do, and I'm ashamed of it. I'm sorry for it. When we confess, we agree with God and we say, we need to see it the way God sees it. We need to feel about it the way God feels about it. And folks, I know you, I know me, that there are times when sin is fun. Sin is attractive. Sin has a great taste to it. Or we wouldn't do it, would we? But we can't stay in that state. That's not something we continue. If something changes in our life, then that means that we no longer can endure it and live with it anymore because there's been some change in our life. Listen to what Paul says. He goes, I've been crucified with Christ. It's a done deal, but it's, a, it's in a present tense. Perfect tense, excuse me, which means it's a done deal, but the effect keeps on going. If I'm dead, I'm dead. I can't do anything else. Once a person is buried in the ground, they're buried. There's nothing left. It's over. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. The death that Christ gave to me by my union with him is still in effect, and I'm dead. To sin. I can't crucify myself. I can't crucify you. God has done that for us in Christ, if we are with Christ. That's why he's making all these statements about being in Christ. Christ has done this for you and for me. If it depended upon you, you would not die. We don't have a victorious life where we just say no to sin because there's another sin lurking around the door. We may get away and have a handle on other, some sins, but there's always going to be a sin lurking around the corner waiting for you to do it. 
If I know, he goes, it is no longer I who live. It is not an ongoing self-improvement project, Paul says. But Christ who lives in me. If you and I have died to sin, we now live in Christ. That's the new life that we have. That's the difference that you and I are. That's why we don't have to worry about dying to sin, no matter if there's writers out there and people on TV telling you we do not die to sin. We kill sin, but dead to sin has been done in Christ. So I don't want you to think about going home and dying to sin because you can't do it because it's already been done. I mean, that's the assurance of knowing that God loves us because it's finished in Christ. It's done. He's accomplished it on the cross. We do not need to worry about dying to sin because we're dead to it. Isn't that great? Boy, I hope so. Because what a terrible state we would have. I mean, we would be, we would be, I mean, if we're Christians, when? When did it happen? It's not enough. I got to keep on working. I got to fast more. I got to pray more. I got to read more. I got to give my life to God in, in missions. I got to do all these things. I got to do these things because I need to die to sin. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But to think that you and I are going to physically, mentally, spiritually die, it's already been done. So why do we do it? We can't. So we shouldn't worry about it. That's why Paul says, how can we continue in sin if we've been dead to it? It's like digging up a body that's already been buried, which is foolish, stupid, useless. If we don't feel that way, then we are not believers. That's the problem. The life I now live, I live in the flesh. I'm still in Galatians chapter, chapter 2. The life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Timothy, Paul writes this, 2 Timothy 2.11. The saying is trustworthy, for we, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Colossians 2.12 and 14. Having been buried with him, in baptism, which he's going to be talking about, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcised of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Our union with Christ, being in Christ, means that we now are the beneficiaries of, the, of what Christ has accomplished for us. If Jesus is raised from the dead, so are we going to be raised from the dead. And we have been raised spiritually from the dead. If Jesus has now been made alive, newness in life, then we have that now in life. We don't have to wait for it to happen. Working through it, as he says here, there's work, there's sanctification. Sanctification is done by the Holy Spirit and allows us to do it in our own life by enabling us to say no to ungodliness, to not offer our members to sin, as it says. As he says in, first, in Col Col uh, Colossians 2 again, and you who were dead 
in your trespasses and the uncircumcised of your flesh, meaning that in Adam, going back to chapter 5, that's why he's talking about this, because something has happened. In Adam, we're dead. The first Adam, we're dead. Sin reigns. Look at those words. Sin rules. Sin reigns in your life. You and I, unbelievers, when we're unbelievers, we don't have a question. People aren't there saying, Oh, wow, sin's ruling my life. I don't, no one comes up to me at work. Nobody comes on the street and just says to me, do you know how I can kill sin? My, do you know how I can stop the rule of sin in my life? The people don't think about it. That's life. You just do it. You go to TikTok. You go to Instagram. You go to do everything you want to. Anybody can do anything and everything they want to because there are no concern of sin. No one, they don't think anybody rules them, but sin is ruling them because of Adam. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That's what justification is, and he's been talking about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that well-known verse, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, regarding no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, people, are you believers? Are you in Christ? We are a new creation. We are no longer Adam. We are now in Christ. The old has passed away. There is no, we no longer live in that world we live in. We used to live in. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. He's talking about here. Remember what he says in, in um, uh, verse 21 of chapter 5. So that as sinned, reigned in death. This is what he's talking about. Jesus died to the reign of sin. He was not a sinner. He never sinned, but he lived in a world that was subject. He lived for people who were subject and were bothered and tormented and were sinners. But then it says here, grace also might reign. So we're talking about who's in control, Two kingdoms. This is why he says, if we live in one world, and we no longer live there, any, if we live there totally, but then we move over to another world, we can't go back to that world. This is the world that we live in. This is the dictates that we now live by. And that's what happened. First Adam, second Adam. Old life, new life. Death, now grace. That's what he's talking about. That's what his explanation is. It's not about how you and I feel. It's not about how much more I can die to sin. It's not something that you and I do. So if you're looking for a list of things to do, I'm sorry you walk out of here today without one. But listen, no. So what is he saying? As I said, he's talking about the reign, the rule of sin. Jesus, as he says, do you not know 
Now he goes on to something real briefly here, that he goes on and he says that all of us, verse 3 of chapter 6, who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death. Now I want to tell you that people who are baptistic, meaning that believers only to be baptized and not children, use this verse as a proof text. Okay, that this is a really good text for baptism. I don't think it, it, it's really not telling us anything about baptism other than the fact of what it represents. It's not telling us the mode. It's not telling us that we have to be immersed. It's immersion can be fine. But there's a lot of things in the Old Testament. There's a lot of pouring and a lot of sprinkling going on. And so what he says here, notice he wants us to realize that we've been baptized into Christ. Not by Christ, but into Christ, meaning that the Spirit of God mysteriously now brings us into this union with Jesus. We are now a brother and a sister and a child of God through Christ because of what Jesus has done, all that he's accomplished. He has died. He's been buried. He's been raised. What does that mean? That you and I have died. We, are be, we have been buried with Christ. We are now raised in Christ. And we have the hope in the future of now getting rid of this dying body and this life of sin that we continue to perpetuate in. We Listen, folks, we have died to the rule and reign and sin in our life. We no longer live in a world where sin reigns and rules. If you believe that you are, then you need to question if you are a believer at all. Because it says here that Jesus died. It says that you and I have died. Paul writes that you and I have died. God tells us that we have been dead. We are dead to sin. Sin no longer has reign and rule over us. Is it, is it uh, present in my life? You're darn tootin'. It's very present in my life. It's very present in your life. And you're going to struggle with that presence because what happened, as he's going to go on to say, we're going to look at next week, is that our behavior in this world of Adam is hard to kill. And so when we go into this new world of Christ, how we lived over here can't be lived over here, but it is because that's who we are. And that's where John Owen and that's where the Bible tells us to kill that sin to make sure you know it but realize that you don't become discouraged but give it over to the lord and pray about it boy people who just have struggled with such sin in their life i want them to understand this i want to understand this i want you to understand this that you are not perfect and that you can't do enough to die to sin it's done rejoice in that Realize and rejoice in the fact that you now live in the realm and the rule of grace. Where Jesus is King, and Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is Savior, and not sin. Sin is personified as being the ruler and reign of our life in Adam. He delivered us, as, as uh, 2 Timothy here says, he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
We have been sanctified, and we're going to be talking about that in the book of Romans. We have been made holy, and we are sanctified in Christ. God looks upon you and me and sees Christ who is perfectly holy. But in our, in our day-to-day pedestrian life, as we live out this life, it is a, one is a definitive sanctification, meaning that it's done and complete. And God sees us that way because he doesn't see us now. He sees us in the complete state that we are in Christ. But in our lives, you and I are progressively making progress with our dying, I mean, our killing of sin. I'm even saying it myself. The killing of sin. The appetite of wanting to stop that. Of saying to yourself, this is something that I should not be doing. If you struggle with that, that's a sign that you're a believer. Because if you were in Adam, you could give a rip about any of that stuff. Because you are worried about what God thinks of God not, being, God not being glorified in your life. About doing things and taking Jesus in places with us where we go and sin. In our bodies, in our lives, in our minds, in our readings, in our discussions. We take him with us. I know all this stuff, but yet I still do it. It's a struggle. It's a conflict because that old king does not want to die. It's like the myth of Rasputin, right? You heard of Rasputin, that, that mystic from Russia. This, this, the, uh, the fable goes that they tried to do every way they could to kill the guy. He wouldn't die. He finally died. But it just, he would not want to die. And this is the way this, this old self, as he says, we're not two people. There's not an old man in me and a new man in me. I'm a new man. You're a new person in Christ. Bible tells us that. We, we just have the old lifestyle, the old thinking, but we don't have two natures. We aren't, there's no old man living in us. We are now new in Christ. The old has passed away. That's something to remember. You hear people saying, well, the old man's got to die in me. No, the old man's been dead. I think I just read dead to sin. So the old man is dead. The old lady is dead. That lady, that man is dead. We are now new in Christ. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. So we have to look at life. We have to look at each other. We look at the life of the church in the fact that when we, we, we are baptized and we go through the sacrament of baptism, we are saying that we have died and we are buried and we've been raised. We, we, gotta, we go through that. I mean, that's very important for us to, have, to be baptized as believers and be baptized as our children because they carry that sign with them. So that's why this language is so important because buried means buried. It means end. It means ceased. There, everybody across the, down the street down here at that cemetery, it's over. There, you, you cannot take their body out and expect them to live. So when it says it's buried, it's buried. It's completely over. That's why he wants us to rejoice in the fact that how, how can, and and to understand the assurance of our salvation is because Christ has procured for us this gift of salvation, of 
total obedience, as we've looked at that definition of sanctification, God looks upon us as you and I have never sinned. Now, you know that's a great deal. You can't get that deal anywhere on earth but through Jesus. He looks upon you and me as if we have never sinned, and yet we go on sinning every day. Not that we want to sin. Oh, no, I take that back. We do want to sin. I, I said that wrong. We do want to sin. It's what not, now we know that it is not good. It does not feel good. It may feel good for a moment, but it does not have the long-lasting effect of, wow, getting drunk last night was great. Or talking about somebody and killing their personality, killing their reputation, they deserved it. It felt great. Or ripping somebody off, they deserve it. Everybody else does it. Isn't that great? We may do it, but it should not last long. Like, this is something that I continue to do. You see the difference. That's the difference. And that's what he says in baptism, because I want to make sure that you realize that we were buried, therefore, with him and by baptism. Nobody talks about being buried, right? Because I said, it's final. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in this newness of life. I, I want to make sure that you and I are not reading in here where the Roman Catholic Church reads in here that there is there's efficacious work done and saving grace in the, in, the, in the sacrament of baptism. And I've mentioned this before, being an ex-Roman Catholic and being around family that still are, if you go to a Roman Catholic funeral, having been born again in baptism, and that happens as a baby, and they believe, they believe that they are born again by being baptized. Nowhere in the Bible and nowhere in this verse is this talking about that. It is talking about what is demonstrated when we say that I renounce sin and that I am a sinner and I need the grace of Christ and I want my sins taken, and He has taken away my sins, and I've been washed clean, and I desire to have Jesus more than anything else in my life. That's a vow we take. That we break, but we take it at baptism because that is now knowing that we are telling the world that we have been translated, transformed, Star Trek, beam me up, someplace different from this world to this world. Do you see how important those four verses are? They're, they're, they're so important that I just couldn't go over them so quickly without going through the, the stuff that I've been talking about. Here's, here's uh, John Stott says, By union with Jesus, our whole status has changed. Our baptism has severed us from the old life, cuts us off from it irrevocably and commits us to a new to us to new our baptiz, baptism stands between us and the old life as a door between two rooms closing the one and opening the other a born again christian should no more think about going back to the old life than an adult to his childhood or a married man to his bachelorhood or a discharged prisoner to his prison cell now, there are people who act immature and act childish, but that doesn't mean they've turned back into a child. And that's what he's trying to say here. We cannot go back. 
It is impossible for it all to go back. If Christ has died, if you and I have died with Christ, if you and I believe, then we are secure. We may be troubled about our sin, but by God's grace we are troubled by our sins. So I hope you've gotten the answer to what it is to be dead to sin. And that you will not listen to anybody who says that you need to die to sin. Because we don't die to sin. We are dead to sin. It's done. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, be with us as we try to absorb all the stuff that we've been reading this morning. We pray, Father, that you help us to sort these things because it's so important to our salvation. It's so important to our understanding and our holy living. Because if we misconstrue this, Lord, we will be defeated and we will be making Satan as happy as anybody can be. Yes, Lord, you want us to struggle with our sins. Yes, Lord, you want us to feel terrible about our sins. But Lord, we, want, we need to be remembered that just because we sin does not discount us from your beloved children or does not separate us from the love of Christ. But Lord, I pray that we realize that we are new creatures, that we live in a whole new world with a whole different uh, standard of life, with a whole different purpose for living, with a whole different perspective of not only now, but the future to come. And that you have given us the future life now, the already but not yet. We are living redeemed lives. We are living a life that is full of blessings, that we have been giving blessings that we will have in great abundance when we come to know you. Oh Lord, thank you that we, do, we can do nothing other than say yes to Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for this teaching of realizing that as we struggle with sin, that we are still yours because we desire to live a life that is pleasing in your sight. So Lord, help us to love the church as John teaches us. Help us to love being with one another. Help us desire to have communion with one another as we will next week. What that signifies, how your life has been given for us so that we may now participate with other believers from all different backgrounds to believe in the same thing that Jesus has died for our sins and that we cannot please you any other way but being justified through faith by Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this. I pray that this book will be a blessing to the saints. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.